All right, what is up, 11.30? You guys doing good? All right, cool, awesome, fantastic. Uh, hey, I heard that last week um, Andrea did amazing. That's what I heard. I heard it was awesome. I went to lunch with a guy in the church this week, and his exact words to me were, you need to leave town more. That's what he said. So uh, I don't know how to take that, but... Um, but pumped to be here, pumped to hear about all these ways that, um, that God is using you, using us to, to make a difference. I just, I love that. Um, and uh, yeah, just incredible. Love to hear these stories. And uh, today we are continuing this series that's been our summer series uh, called Making Sense of Spiritual Things. Making Sense of Spiritual Things, where each week we have looked at a practice or a tradition or a belief for those of us who uh, claim to be followers of Jesus. Now, you may be in the room today and you're not a Christian. You would not consider yourself to be a Christian or a follower uh, of Jesus. And so some of these things that I'm talking about, you would say that you don't practice or believe because you don't believe in Jesus. But for the rest of us who are Christians and who follow Christ, we have said each week of this series that there are things about our lives that are different solely based on the fact that we follow Jesus Christ, that our lives belong to Jesus, that it doesn't make us better than anyone else. It doesn't make us weird or anything like that either. It just is a difference, a marking, a practice, a belief in our lives that is different because those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ uh, do some things that the Bible tells us, tells us to do. And so today, we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of generosity. Specifically, we're going to talk about the spiritual act of Christians giving to the church. Now, for some, the idea of talking about the topic of generosity in the middle of a series called Making Sense of Spiritual Things might seem strange, right? Because giving, um, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel very spiritual, right? Uh, it, it seems to not fit in this series because we've talked about things like reading and trusting the Bible. We've talked about worship. We've talked about the rapture. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. And all of those things have a little bit of mystique to them. They have a little bit of a spiritual flair, if you will. But the topic of money doesn't seem like it fits. It, it feels normal. Uh, it, it doesn't feel supernatural. But that's probably the biggest reason that uh, I'm teaching on it today. Because it's important, please hear me, it's important how you view and what you believe to be true about money. And specifically, it is important if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it is important uh, how you see money, how you use, spend, and see money. And it is an incredibly spiritual thing. Now, you got to know this about me that every preacher, every pastor has a sweet spot. Every, I mean, it doesn't matter what church you go to, uh, what podcast you listen to, it doesn't matter. Every pastor has a sweet spot. It's the area that, that God created them to be most passionate about, to, to practice the most, to, to be into the most. Uh, it is those areas that uh, they could study less because it's kind of their life message. It's those areas that at any given moment, if someone asked you to like speak on the spot, like this is what you would talk about. And for me, for me, that area is generosity. Now, here's what you got to know is that that's not just a preacher thing. 
that you have a sweet spot as well, that God put spiritual gifts in you just as much as he put a spiritual gift in me or anybody else, any other pastor, that God created you and the way you see things and the way that you think about things, you think everybody sees things that way. You think everybody thinks about things that way. Can I give you a couple examples? That some of you in the room today, God created in you, birthed in you a spiritual gift, a sweet spot for administration. And you're like, wow, that sounds so glamorous. Like that's so, that's got sex appeal right there. Administration, right? But here, here's what I'm saying. You walk into an unorganized, chaotic mess and all you can see is the potential for a system. Like that's, like, that's life, right? Like I don't think that way at all. I don't see it that way at all, right? But you do, why? Because God created you with this bend towards administration and it's not normal it's your spiritual gift. Some of you in the room, you have a spiritual gift for prayer and faith and uh, discernment. And so any situation you get in, you're not thinking necessarily about a system. You're thinking about how to pray for it. What are the needs? Like, how do I pray for this? And you think everybody sees it that way. Everybody doesn't see it that way, but you do. Why? Because God gave you that sweet spot. He put that spiritual gift inside of you. And so there are all, the Bible gives us all these different sweet spots and areas, and you have one. Every person has a DNA that God created in you that is this gifting or this spiritual sweet spot. For me, okay, for me, a, my sweet spot is generosity. That I can't help, because of the way that God created me, I can't help but look at every situation as an opportunity to be generous. Like I'm walking in restaurants thinking like, whose check could I pick up? I'm talking to like somebody who's doing a missions trip and I'm like, how much money can we give? Like I'm always looking to be generous, not because I'm special, not because I'm better. It's the way that God designed me. And not only am I trying to look to be generous, but I'm passionate about helping other people be more generous. And you're that way about your sweet spot too. Like if you came over to my house and you have got a spiritual gift of like administration, craftsmanship, organization, and you come over to my house, you're going to want to get me passionate about it like you are. Because I'm not necessarily passionate about it, right? I got four coffee cups on my nightstand from the last four days, right? Like that's, they're there. And do you know when I'll move them? When I run out of spaces to put the next coffee cup. Anybody can relate to that right there. Come on, anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're passionate about it, and, and check this out. You know, right, that life is better, more organized, cleaner. You, you, like, you know that. Like, you, you got to see it the way I see it. I got to share this with you. You just have to know, like, life is better. Like, if you will put the dishes in the dishwasher, as soon as you're done using them, life is just better. I don't think so. I like to see how tall I can get the dishes under the sink to where I can't get water in the cup anymore. Then I'll put them in the dishwasher. Anybody can relate. Come on, anybody. It's like a game of like Jenga with plates. I mean, it's like, what can we move, right? Listen, here's my point. When you know because of the way that God has created you and designed you, when you know how great something can be, you're passionate about telling people that. And for me, 
my sweet spot, my passion in life is generosity and how you can and I can and we can as a church be more generous because I know, oh, I know that when you begin to experience it, it changes your life in greater ways than you can imagine. Now, if you're a guest with us today, I'm so pumped that you're here because you, you get to be here on a week when I'm talking about something, first of all, that I'm passionate about, but I'm also uh, pumped that you're here because you get to hear truth that you so desperately need to get to hear today. That every marketing message in our society and culture is telling you what? Get more of what you want, buy more things, you'll be happier when you get more. Have we realized by now that's not true? Have we learned by now it doesn't work that way? Like, let's just be honest. Um, how well are you sleeping at night? Let's be honest. How many of the envelopes that you get out of your mailbox do you actually open anymore? The ones with the windows in them, you know what I'm talking about, with your name? Like, you don't open those anymore. How many, how many phone calls on your cell phone are you getting from some New Jersey number that you don't know that you're pretty positive is a bill collector and you screen it? Like, it doesn't work. The, 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 the false truth that society is giving you that the more you can hold on to and the more things that you can buy and the nicer stuff that you can have, it will make you happier. Hopefully we've realized by now it doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? But I'm pumped that you're here because we have a little thing that we say around here at the church that my way hurts and God's way works. And so I'm pumped that you're here because I really believe you're going to hear truth today that has the potential to change your life uh, forever, okay? So uh, let me drop, let me just start right up front and just drop a truth bomb on you. Are you ready? Here we go. You will only ever be as spiritual as you are generous. You will only ever be as spiritual as you are generous. You cannot separate the two. It's not possible. Let me say it one more time because it's like, you need to know this. You will only ever be as spiritual as you are generous. I didn't, it's not something I came up with. That is straight from Jesus. When he said this statement, he said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So, so Jesus kind of like, like all the like mob crime movies stole Jesus' line. Jesus says, follow the money. Follow the money. You follow the money and you will find, you'll find the heart. That whatever your heart is into, your money will be into. And whatever your money is into is what your heart will be into. But you don't need me to tell you that. You know that. Moms, come on, you know this to be true, moms. It's back to school season, and you've budgeted an amount of money to get your kids ready to go back to school for some outfits and hair bows and backpacks and all this stuff. But come on, mom, you know what's going to happen. You know you're going to spend more than you planned on spending. Why? Because your heart's in it. You love your kids, and you know you got to take that picture for Pinterest and Instagram on that first day, and you want it to be awesome. So, like, you're going to make sure it's right. Why? Your heart's in it. That's where your money's at. Some of you in here, you're buying uh, faster, nicer boats for the lake. Why? It's not because the fish got any faster. They swim the same speed. They've always swam. It's because your heart's in it. Right? We spend $12 to see a movie on opening night. Why? Because our heart's in it. We pay 
35, $45, $65 to play around the golf. Why? Because our heart's in it. And hear me, it's not wrong or right. It's not bad or good. It's just a fact that where your money is, is an indication of where your heart is. So let me say it again. You will only ever be as spiritual as you are generous. You cannot say, oh, I love God. I, I, I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm, I, I love his church. And then not be generous towards that because the principle and the fact of life is that whatever your money is into is where your heart will be. So this is not related to the message. Let me just stop for just a second and give you free dating advice, ladies. Are you ready? If he will not spend money on you, He's not into you because when a man falls in love, he goes broke. All right, guys, isn't that true? When a man falls in love, he goes broke. And here's what's crazy about it. We don't even care. Like we are broke and happy. Why? Because our heart's in it. I will, I, will, I will take you to restaurants that like the food sizes are like that big and it's really expensive. Why? Just because my heart's in it. I'll buy like five stuffed teddy bears. I remember when Andrew and I were dating, I'd buy flowers every day. I didn't even care. I had no money, but it didn't matter because my heart was in it. I think that's why guys buy engagement rings, just to make sure their heart's in it, right? Because you got to spend a lot of money on a ring. So hear me, ladies, this is not the point of the message. I just thought you needed to know, make sure he's spending money on you because that's how you know his heart is in, right? Okay, so, so here's my goal today, okay? Here's my goal. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to view giving and generosity as a spiritual practice as much as worship, going to church, reading your Bible, right? It is as important, right? Most importantly, I want to show you what the Bible says to do when you don't feel like it's logistically possible to be a giver. So you say, like, Jason, I hear what you're saying, and I know based, like, like, technically you're right, but honestly, my heart is into it, Jason, but I, it's just not possible I can't do it, all right? So we're going to get there. But let me start by just giving you a little history behind the idea of Christians being generous. Every week of this series, we've tried to not just say what it means for now, but we've tried to show you how this is something that has been a spiritual practice or belief long before we ever showed up. And this concept of generosity re revealing how we feel about God is not a new thing. It's been around since the second story in the Bible. The first story was Adam and Eve. The second story was about a guy, a brothers named Cain and Abel. And it's been around since that time. And I'm going to give you one example. Uh, this is not the second story in the Bible. This is about the 10th story in the Bible. But it's in Genesis 28. Jacob, his dad was named Isaac. His grandfather was named Abraham. He gets a lot of chapters in the Bible. And in Genesis 28, verse 20, this is what it says. It says, Then Jacob made this vow, If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. Notice what he says. This will be the place that I will worship God. How? I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So Jacob is saying, I'm going to worship God by bringing him a tenth of everything he gives me. It came from God. This is just one example, but we see this over and over again in the Bible, that God even gave specific instructions in different parts of the Old Testament. He showed up and 
He was telling the people, like, when you have this many animals, give this one. When you have this much crop, give this one. When you have this much money, give this amount, this 10% number that God seemed to really care about. And, and here's what's important to know is that God never commands us to give because he needs our money. Please know that, right? God doesn't need your money. Like, it's all his, okay? Which is a good thing to remember the next time you're praying about something financial. It's like, God, it, you, it, it's all yours. Like, it all belongs to you anyway. So, but, but he's not asking you because he needs it. He's asking you because he knows you need it. And it's one thing to give something to somebody that you don't need. It's a whole other thing to give something that you need. Cinnamon rolls come eight to a pack at our house. We have five people who eat them. How many people know that's not evenly divided, right? So when you say, Sadie, give yours to whatever, this is a philosophical life breakdown of how much am I willing to let go of the cinnamon roll that I so desperately want, right? That's the way life works. I'll give it to you all day long if I don't feel like I need it. But when I need it, and you're asking me to give it, I don't know if I can do that. Now, there's all kinds of verses in the Old Testament. The most famous is Malachi 3.10. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. So now God ups the ante and says, don't just bring it to me, but I'm going to uh, bless you when you do. That's what God said, okay? So giving and tithing is and has always been for God, about God testing our heart. It's never been about him needing anything from you. And we say this around here a lot, but I want you to hear it again. God doesn't need anything from you. He's not like you and me, like up there, like it's the 23rd of the month. Ooh, that direct deposit's coming in five days. I can't wait to put it in my bank account. No, God doesn't need anything from you. He desperately wants something for you. He's not up in heaven going, why won't Jason be more generous? Doesn't he know that we've got to do the Bless Back Project and we can't afford it unless he gives it? That's not what God's doing. God's up in heaven going, oh my goodness. Oh, I have so many great plans for Jason. I have so much that I want for Jason. And if I could just ever get him to, to let go of this area of his life that he feels like he could never let go of, wow, would he really experience something great. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. But this is not just an Old Testament thing. Even after Jesus came and they started establishing these churches and Jesus left, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people, they were asking, should we do this? He says, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. This is what Paul said to the church in the Bible. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. So we see this biblical precedent over and over again. When you say you believe in Jesus, when you say that you love God, and you decide to be a part of a church, not because the church needs it, not because God needs it, but because your heart is in, you set aside a portion of your money intentionally on purpose. The Bible says over and over again this 10% idea, and you give it to God. You give it to God, and you give it to God through the means of the church. The other day, my daughter uh, asked me, she's like, Dad, how does God get the money? 
And I kind of started laughing because I always wondered that as a kid. I remember being six, seven, eight, and I grew up in these churches, kind of like this one, the way it's built, but smaller. And they had these side door rooms like we have, and they would have this board that says like how much the offering was and how many people came to Sunday school and all this stuff. And they would collect the offering and then the ushers would take it back in the back room. And in my small mind, I just always assumed that there was like this supernatural suction that they would like sit the the offering like under these tubes that like you do at the bank and like heaven would just suck it up. I didn't know. Like, I'm serious. I'm like, how does God get the money? And so my daughter wanted to know, dad, how does God get the money? You give to God because you give to his church. That's the precedent that was set in the Bible, right? This is not some new modern idea, American idea that God established this, that those people the same way that people who love me read their Bible, worship, go to church, are anticipating my return, they set aside a portion first of everything that I give them and they bring it to me, right? But honestly, in all my years of pastoring, I've only maybe ever met one or two people who got mad at me for talking about it because they thought it was unbiblical or incorrect. I'm not telling you something today, like convincing you, like you know. It's not a matter of information. It's a matter of looking at what you have and saying like, I just don't think that I can. And God would not expect me to do something honestly so irresponsible, right, Jason? I mean, we don't have anything to give. And man, if you feel that way, I am like so giddy excited because I just believe today that, that God is going to do something defining in your life that you're going to change your mindset. You're going to start putting God first. Your life's never going to be the same. So what I want to do for the time I have left is I want to read a story out of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is going to be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. If you do or it's on your phone, I would encourage you to get it out and read along with me. Pretty famous story in Mark chapter 6. Jesus and the disciples, starting in verse 32, it says, So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus says, you feed them. With what, they ask? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups, of, groups on, green, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100, and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, and he blessed it. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. I love this story. I just, I don't know, I, even as a kid, like I remember reading this story and just loving this story. And I think what I love about it, I mean, there's a lot of things I love about it, but I think what I love about it the most is in this story is probably my favorite question in the Bible. There are some great questions in the Bible. 
how must I, what do I need to do to be saved? And what's the greatest commandment? Like, these are great questions in the Bible. But there is a question in this story that is probably my favorite question. So in case you didn't follow along, Jesus and the disciples are out doing ministry and the disciples start thinking about what's for dinner and they haven't planned ahead, which feels eerily similar to my life. And so if they're anything like me around 4.15, they're like, what are we going to eat for dinner, right? And, and, and they're only thinking about the 13 of them, like Jesus and the 12 disciples. And so they go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, uh, it's getting late and, um, you know, we need, to, we need to go eat dinner. And so why don't you dismiss everybody? And the disciples are probably thinking like, and if we could do that thing where like you, like we skip across the water, we could get ahead of everybody at Texas Roadhouse. It'll be less than, you know, less weight or whatever it is. Like they're focused on feeding themselves, right? And Jesus says to the disciples, you're right. We need to feed them. You feed them. And that's when the disciples ask probably my favorite question in the Bible, with what? with what? I love that question. I love the honesty of that question because I can relate to that question. Over and over again in my life, I felt like God has wanted me to do something that I felt like like unbelievably incapable of doing, under-resourced. Like, wait a minute, God, what do you mean you want me to do something with what? So, okay, Jason, you're talking about giving, like with what? Okay, you're talking about my time. Like, I don't have any time. I don't need more extra time. With what? Okay, you're talking about having patience with my teenage kid that I want to destroy and kill, right? Like, what patience? You want me to have wisdom to handle this situation? What wisdom? Like, with what? I don't have what I need to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. With what? I love that question. I love that question because God seems to put us in these positions where the only way we can obey is to defy like our way of thinking and trust in him. And so I know that there are times that we read the Bible and it's like, it's so old school and it's like fish and bread and these people are outside. So I thought today we would, um, we would like modernize this a little bit. Okay. So Daniel, will you come help me if you don't mind? Come help me. So Jesus, it says in the Bible, I don't feel like this is a stretch, but it says in the Bible that they had some bread and fish. Now I don't have any, um, I don't have any, any fish today, but I do have bread, all right? And so, um, and so what we're going to do is um, we're going to tell this story a little bit differently. I got a Krispy Kreme donut, all right? Now this is bread, all right? This probably be our new communion bread at the church. So I'm pretty excited about that because it is bread. Um, and so Jesus says, what, what do you have? What do you have? And, and, and because these people are hungry, this is not a trick question. Nothing weird's going to happen to you. This is a straight up, just honest, best illustration you've ever heard in church. How many people in the room would like a Krispy Kreme donut right now? Let me see your hand. Come on. About 60 hands. All right, Daniel, what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to make sure that everybody in the room gets some Krispy Kreme donut. Come on, hold your hand back up. Let me see your hand. Come on, if you want a donut, we've got a donut here. And so Daniel is going to make sure, he's got gloves on, that everybody gets a piece of the donut. So go ahead, because... 
this is what the disciples are thinking. When Jesus says, you feed them, the disciples are thinking, okay, how do we divide five pieces of bread and three fish for 10,000 people? And so they start thinking like, we're going to divvy it up, right? We're going we're to divvy this thing up and, and figure out like who, who's going to get some. So yeah, just keep your hand up. He's coming to you. How much we got left over there, Daniel? We're, we're, okay, all right. And so listen, don't miss this while Daniel's finding you. Like, don't miss this. Jesus says, what do you have? I want you to feed them. What do you have? And so the disciples are looking at what they have. Please catch this. The disciples are looking at what they have, and they're trying to figure out how to do what Jesus wants them to do. Are you tracking with me? So they're thinking logically, logistically. I got five pieces of bread and three pieces of fish. And we've got like 9,000 plus people. What are we going to do? There's a different mindset that you have, and we see it in the story, right? So Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to do something about it. And the disciples begin to think about solving the problem by using division. I never noticed this. I've read this story a thousand times. I never noticed this until I started rereading it for this sermon. That the disciples are using division to try to meet all the need, right? Isn't that what they're doing? They're saying, okay, how can we divide five pieces of bread and three pieces of fish? How can we divide it so that everybody gets some? And, and a lot of us in the room, we have a division mindset as well. So it's like, okay, well, like I got to divide. So I make this much money, I got to divide it up. So like the mortgage company gets this, the landlord gets this, the utility company gets this, the cell phone company gets this, the ex-spouse gets this, the private school gets this. We're dividing it up, dividing it up, dividing it up, dividing it up, dividing it up. And we're just hoping that after we divide it, there's enough. That was the disciples' plan. But here's what I love about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't think division. Jesus thinks what? Multiplication. So the disciples are, are, are staring at this impossible task and they're like, I mean, even if we divided this up, like, what's the point? And Jesus gives them a command and it's the same command that he gives you and me today. He says, bring it to me. He says, he says, bring it to me. And don't miss this incredibly powerful principle when you feel insufficient or under-resourced or incapable of obeying God when he asks you or you know he wants you to obey. The principle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and every other way that Jesus miraculously comes through is this. When what you have doesn't feel like enough, take it to God first. And he will bless it and make it more than enough. And so the disciples are thinking division. We don't have enough. It's not enough. What's he thinking? He asked me to do this. Like, this is not enough. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Like, before you try to fix it, bring it to me. Before you try to divide it, bring it to me. Jesus says, bring it to me. So the disciples are like, <clears throat> they're like, okay, well, we only got like five pieces of bread and um, three pieces of fish. So like, okay. And so he brings it to them. And, uh, and 
And Jesus, the Bible says he blessed it. He blessed it, right? I don't know how Jesus prays for food because, like, that's kind of odd. And, you know, like, I don't know what he says, you know, like, bless this food to the nourishment of our body. I don't know what he said, but he's, he's praying for the food. And I don't know what the disciples are thinking, but the Bible says that he blessed it. And then I love the way that it says in Mark chapter 6, it says that he kept handing them food. So it wasn't like he handed them like a huge 10-gallon bucket of food. It's like he gave them a little bit. They went and handed it out and they came back. So raise your hand again. How many people in the room want a donut? Come on, let me see your hand. Come on, how many people want a donut? There you go, right here. Here you go. Take this. Oh, let's do another one. Andrew, you want to help us out? Just let them pick it out there. Be sanitary. Just keep your hand up if you want a donut. Keep your hand up. And so the disciples bring what they have to Jesus. Some of y'all are like, this is the greatest illustration I've ever heard in my life. Listen, Krispy Kreme is anointed. I don't, it's, these calories don't even count because it's God calories. Come on. Come on. Get it. I mean, I, listen, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. There are 9,000 people. There are 9,000 people sitting out in this yard. Are we out? We out? Here, come here, come here. The Bible says that Jesus just, Jesus just kept no. handing it out. No. He just kept handing it out. I mean, he's like, and every time he came, every time the disciples came back, every time the disciples came back, then he would give them, he would give them, he would give them more. They would come back. He would get some more. Come on, get, get, get some more. How, how many people need, need some more? All right, hold on. I think, I think we got enough. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think we got enough. Uh, Zach needs one in the back. Zach needs one in the back. Anybody else didn't get a donut? Come on, let me see your hand. You didn't get a donut. Take it, take it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 get one in the back. Yeah, this is no trick. Some of you guys are like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess, like, I'm not going to have to give money. Like, I'll take one. Like, I'm in. You're like, this is a trick. I know this is a trick. I'm about to pay $20 for this donut. Um, no. Every donut that you ate is sponsoring a kid. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so the, the Bible says that, that, the, that the disciples kept coming back because, like, they ran out. And they went back to Jesus, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah here's another dozen. And they would go hand it out. Because we think division, God thinks multiplication. Listen, it gets better. So then it says, that everybody ate till they were full. So like if Nora, if my five-year-old would have been with me, she'd have had like three helpings, okay? She's like, Dad, can I have another one? And we'd have got her another one. So, you know, the disciples are like, everybody get full. It's all you can eat. It's all you can eat, okay? And so then it's over. And listen, I don't know how the disciples are thinking, but if it's me, I'm probably grazing off the top because I'm assuming it's going to run out before I get mine. And the Bible says that... Um, after it was over, that, uh, that the disciples picked up leftovers, right? So, Andrea, come here, come here, come here. Daniel, come here, come here. Like, th these are y'all's. Y'all get to keep these. Like, you, these, are, these are yours. Yes, I'm Because it just keeps coming back. Your kids are so excited right now. They're like, we are coming in big church every week. <laughs> listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Please don't miss this. 
I hope every time you pass a hot and out sign, you think about this sermon. Listen to me. Stop trying to divide and conquer. Bring it to God first and let him multiply it. He says, what do you have? You're like, I have like $12 an hour for 22 hours a week, God. He says, bring it to me. He says, I'm on disability. He's like, just bring it to me. Like, all I get is like, uh, I get a social security check. He's like, just bring it to me. Just bring it to me. When what you have doesn't feel like enough, bring it to God first. Before you do anything else with it, before you try to solve your own problems, before you try to divide it up, before everybody gets theirs, listen, bring it to God first. And he's going to bless it and make it more than enough. Now, here's what's crazy is that he didn't have to bless us. Like, we, get, we don't give because it's like a genie in a bottle, and it's like, oh, I'm giving because I'm going to get this much percentage return. And, I, and maybe that's you. Maybe you've got some issues with churches and money, and I started talking about this, and you're like, oh, here we go again. Listen, no agenda, no guilt, no pressure. I'm just talking to those of us in the room who are like, no, I love God. Like, I'm, I'm in, Jason. My heart is in. But I... I'm still trying to divide and I keep hoping that every month after I divide it up, God will get his, but he, he never ends up getting his, right? Mathematically, I know you could like, math teachers don't freak out on me, like you could do decimals and stuff, but just hold on, using whole numbers here. Mathematically, every time you divide, it gets less. Like you, you can't increase with division. Just go with me on that, right? Listen, you can't decrease with multiplication. You can't. And so God says, bring it to me first. And so maybe you're here, listen, hear my heart. No, no. Oh, that's funny. So listen, God says, bring it to me first. And so if you're here today and you're like, Jason, I, I, I want to, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Please hear my heart. This is pastor's heart. If you're not following Jesus, I'm not directing this to you. I'm talking about those of us who say like, yes, I want to. I want to be in. Listen to me. It's not true. You can't afford to give or tithe. It's not true. Because God says, bring it to me first. You can't afford your mortgage. Maybe can't afford your cell phone bill or private school or whatever, but God gets his first. And he doesn't do it because he's greedy. He does it because he knows if you'll bring it to him first, he'll bless it and multiply it and make it more than what you even had to give up. And so, listen, I wish we had time. We don't, but I wish we had time just bring family after family after family up here and let them tell you their story. Like, yeah, I mean, let me tell you this. Like, we wrote this check for like $42 and it was everything we had left and we're like, you're insane, Jason. And then God multiplied it and blessed it. And then I got this raise and I don't even know how it works and I'm not making any promises or guarantees. Like, thank you, God, for just being awesome. Like then this happened and I don't even know mathematically. Listen, I was talking to a guy this morning at breakfast. I don't say this to brag about me. You know my heart. 
this guy was saying to me, he's like, man, how's it been since Andrea stopped teaching? Because you guys had two full-time salaries and now you just have one full-time salary and it hasn't changed since she was teaching. And I said, you know, you're right. Like mathematically, you're right. Like we were cut in half, but the craziest thing has happened. Like we're in better shape now than we were back then. I'm actually kind of mad that we didn't do what we're doing now back then. Like we got more margin now. Like we're more blessed now. Not because I'm special, but because we made a decision before we even got married. We're gonna take it to God first. We're gonna take it to God first. And he's gonna bless it. And he's gonna make it more than enough. So if you're here today, band, come on up. Listen, if you're here today and, um, and you're like, listen, I'm in, Jason. Like I'm in, I'm just having a panic attack thinking about it right now. You, you got to take a step and trust God. You got to bring him what you have. If the disciples would have decided to split five pieces of bread and three fish 12 ways, they probably would have got close to full. But God wouldn't have been able to do a miracle. Bring it to him. 10%. He said, well, I'll just do four. Don't do four, do 10. That's what he said. Like, well, I, just do what he said. Just do what he said. Not because I need it, not because the church needs it. God definitely doesn't need it, but because he wants something for your life and your way's not working. It's just not working. So do it God's way. Let's pray.